Welcome to the Future of Tourism podcast. I'm David Peacock. Stop owning your own content. Young leaders are stepping up. Bring everyone to the table. And imagine their world anew. How do you cut through the clutter when it comes to recruitment and retention? How do you inculcate corporate culture in a predominantly remote workforce? Mike Gamble is a friend and ally to this industry. He's the CEO of Searchwide Global, dominant talent and recruitment entity in the sector in North America. His work to include, expand, and future-proof the industry is manifest in projects outside his core businesses, like the not-for-profit Force for Good Tourism Diversity Matters that was established in February 2021. Ryan Bolton has been in senior management and tech innovation for more than two decades, from Google through to voice over IP technology and all points in between to his current role as VP of product at SimpleView. He's worked extensively at managing both on-site and remote teams on mission critical digital projects and products around the world. And he has very specific views as to what it takes to be competitive in the recruitment sector these days. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Ryan. Morning, David. Morning. Thanks for having us. Hey, it's, it's a pleasure to see you both again. Ryan, we'll start with you. How are you? Where are you? What's it like? I'm great. Coming off of uh, a very relaxing Thanksgiving holiday with the family. Uh, I'm currently, well, I'm, I'm usually based out of Pittsburgh, but I'm currently in Tucson at the uh, Simple View headquarters. And um, yeah, great to be here talking with you. Very good. Mike, how are you? Where are you? I'm great, David. Thank you. Uh, same. Uh, great Thanksgiving with the family. I'm in Minneapolis, and I think we're at about inch six of the snowstorm. Uh, we expect about eight inches. So, um, yeah, it's it's a little bit of a blizzard outside, but glad to be here. Well, glad to have you both here. Um, we've been monitoring and talking about the topic of equity, diversity, inclusion, employment, retention, attraction, corporate culture, off and on throughout the entirety of COVID. And I think it's it changed a lot of things in its course. Um, why don't we start here, Mike? Give us a 30,000 foot view. We've been through the great layoff. We've been through the return to work. We've been through the incredible uh, mobility of talent. I don't know how else to ex explain it. Where are we at in December, 2022? Yeah, great question, David. You know, you and I talked in 2020, and I, I think my quote was, it'll take years to absorb the talent that's been laid off and furloughed. <clears throat> well, I was wrong about that. I mean, how how we went from, a, it, our industry was at about a 35% unemployment at the peak of, of COVID. Um, the nation I saw close to 17%. How in the world could we get below 4% so quickly? Um, that's the question, right? I, and so what I would say about our industry is we still have a frontline issue. And it's a pretty big issue. There's still 1.1 million uh, open jobs um, and not enough workers to fill those. <clears throat> but for the leadership pipeline, you know, the management VP and then the, the C-suite, that market is still tight. Um, but it's starting to loosen up a little bit. The big issue that we're seeing today is housing, continues to be housing. You know, eight months ago, 12 months ago, it was a lack of housing. Today, it's the lack of affordability and the ability for people to get in um, at a reasonable interest rate. And that's impacting people who we have to move who aren't working remotely. Um, that's an obstacle. And so that's, again, another interesting twist in this two or three years, uh, that roller coaster that we've been on. But 
Um, I think that pretty much sums it up from our perspective and from our clients' perspective. Well, that, that's a good place to throw to you, right? I mean, you start uh, as the vice president of product at SimpleView not quite three years ago. You've been through this roller coaster ride, jumping on just as it all started to unfold, and then you've been through the whole um, recruitment uh, difficulties and in, in, in the rebuilding phase. Tell us what you've seen. So just to clarify, I joined SimpleView uh, in October of last year. So I was not a part of the DMO space through uh, you know, the hardships of COVID. So uh, I <clears throat> joined at a time where I feel like uh, we were almost at a full rebound, right? Um, and being a part of a software company that services the DMO space, uh, you know, my challenge is slightly, uh, slightly different than DMOs specifically, right? I, I work for a software company. I have to comp compete with other software companies. Um, so while we are in the DMO space and service the DMO space, uh, you know, I'm, I'm competing with everybody from, uh, you know, the big guys uh, like the Googles, the Twitters, the, the Amazons of the world. And um, probably more poignantly, the, uh, the small, more intimate software companies that I prefer to work for, uh, particularly at this point in my career, uh, where, you know, individual contributors and leaders of, of small software firms can truly kind of see their, their, their work move the needle. So in, in that context, Ryan, what's, what's the competition for talent like? Well, <laughs> Uh, it's fierce, right? So uh, the the challenge that the software industry faces today is that uh, if I am not able to offer uh, really every role within my uh, organization, uh, the product organization and the R&D organization, including engineering, uh, I cannot be competitive. I simply can't be competitive on, on, a, on a national level. Uh, all things being equal, being pay, benefits, culture, and all the things that uh, people care about when they join a company, that person is gonna accept the remote role 10 out of 10 times. So if I am unable to offer uh, my positions remote, I simply can't compete. So, okay, Mike, listening to what Ryan said there, at the senior level in recruitment in tech, uh, in our industry, the DMO industry, and it's ancillary parts, um, you service many companies like Miles and SimpleView and MMGY with placements. When you see that kind of pressure, um, what what's what kind of what kind of outcomes is that pressure creating in this industry? Yeah, I'll be interested to hear Ryan's thoughts on on you know the market today as we see the tech layoffs, and especially in Silicon Valley. What we're hearing from some of the other industry tech companies is that they're having a lot of success, you know, um, finding the talent that that perhaps was laid off. Uh, by some of the bigger. So I, again, I'd love to hear Ryan's perspective on that. So we we do have a couple of tech opportunities that we're searching right now. And and last month on those assignments has uh, has loosened things up a bit. And our and our funnel is a bit more full than it would have been, Ryan. I would say probably six or eight months ago, uh, we were doing similar searches, and it was a lot harder. Uh, I guess my point is than it is today. So we feel like at least we're able to to find and attract. Um, talent a little bit more quickly in the tech space today than we were even six or eight months ago. I, I don't know if you're finding, finding that as well. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, <clears throat> the big guys, I think, are finding a very, uh, a very good way of automating a lot of their processes, which, you know, uh, results in automating people out of roles. Uh, they're also focusing on their top contributors and, and paying them more 
to you know slim down their overall footprint as far as employee count. But as you alluded to earlier, <clears throat> there's still millions of jobs <clears throat> that are that are available that are unfilled today, and mm-hmm. I think that leads into the tech sector, uh, just like every other, other every other industry. Yeah. So, so so let's pick that up at the point that you made to start with, though, Ryan. Mike, when you're looking at your increasing uh, the increasingly full funnel in terms of prospects, and I'm assuming these are prospects for placement, mm-hmm. are you seeing the kind of um, demand for remote working that Ryan's talking about? That that really, you, when you counsel a, a client these days, what, what what's your point? What's your um, point on the flexibility around remote working? It's it's in every conversation, David. It's a hard one with the DMOs for sure, but um, but with the hotel companies, we we have a, a pretty active uh, hotel search practice. Boy, the, the, they're starting to really understand what Ryan just mentioned is the flexibility piece is so critically important. And a couple of years ago, they would not have offered that. So even today, I think for the DMOs, the hard piece is is juggling the need to be in the destination, no matter what role you you play. Um, versus the remote work. And I know the CEOs are really trying to balance that. So their stakeholders, by the way, who are there every day servicing their hotels, their restaurants, their attractions, and the, then the DMOs have all this flexibility with their folks working remotely. It's gonna, it's become a challenge. And I know they're just trying to juggle it and do the best they can. But to Ryan's point, our, ours, our, our talent funnels for our jobs that are fully remote are about 5X uh, what the ones are that require a move. And I know that sounds dramatic, uh, but it's accurate. Uh, we, you know, and he, as he knows, I mean, we, we can, we can fill the funnel with great candidates a lot more quickly if there is ability to have a hybrid slash remote work environment. Okay. Um, we're going to, we're going to go ahead, please, Ryan, please. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's, I love the fact that, that, uh, your experience is actually going through this today, Mike. Um, my, when I joined Civilview last October, uh, you know, my CEO, Ryan George, uh, was, I won't, I won't say he was against remote work, but he was, he asked me, he says, as you staff this organization, as you, as you staff your team, um, you know, will you focus on local talent in Tucson or Phoenix so that they're, so that they're close or will you open up these opportunities remotely? And, and I, and I said, well, of course I'm, I'm going to have to open them up remotely. Um, and he asked me why. Uh, and I thought it was an interesting question that it was just a why. And he wasn't posing it in a way that was uh, against me posting these rules remotely. He just wanted um, some validation uh, because, you know, who doesn't love to have colleagues in the office that they're rubbing elbows with on a daily basis? It's fun, right? I, I love being around my team as well. Um, so I'm, I, I told him, give me a day. So I went, I went to the tank and I pulled up a bunch of reports that I had kind of armchair read, uh, you know, McKinsey, uh, Abbott Research, uh, what was the other one, uh, Ergotron, um, and kind of compiled all these figures uh, to, to, to give to him. Uh, and some really interesting statistics came up. So what would you guess is the worst, the, the absolute worst part of somebody's day, right? When they have to commute to, to the office, what, what, would you, what would you say would, what their response would be to the worst part of their day would be? To the, to that, it would be it would I think it would be the commute, right? I, I mean, and, and getting and getting ready getting ready for work, uh, the commute, yeah, all of, right for sure. Nailed it on the head, Mike. Ninety two percent, ninety two percent. This is not like a majority. This is an overwhelming majority. Ninety two percent said their pre work routine and their commute to work. 
92%. Yeah. Uh, and doing this research, uh, some other kind of, you know, raw statistics kind of bubbled up to the top. Working remote, morale uh, and general happiness up 62% if you have a ro remote role. Performance up 16%. Productivity up 41%. These are folks that would usually spend um, anywhere between an hour and a half and three hours of their day from their pre-work routine to the time their foot steps in their front door, right? An hour of that probably gets, you know, given right back to the company in the form of extra hours being, uh, you know, worked throughout the day. So there's, there's a, in my opinion, there's a ton of benefit to embracing remote work uh, and empowering folks to, uh, you know, do their best work uh, without somebody kind of hovering over their shoulder. Okay, so that's that's one of those opportunities that open up so the idea that happier people working more diligently when they work. I, I buy that. But what about the question of corporate culture, guys? How do you inculcate corporate culture remotely? Or I'm going to take it to the next level. The question following is how do we how do we create those those um, thought exchange groups? Can we do that remotely? Those I mean, I, I'm a big proponent. I, I'm I'm fully in on remote working. But I am struggling in the last sort of year now to really start to think of the things that we're, we're sort of losing with it that I want to mitigate somehow. I'll tell you, I give you a great opposite example. During COVID, I thought the democratization of meetings was fabulous. That Hollywood Squares model opened itself up to a bunch of voices that were not being heard getting equal airplay. And boy, that that created some great ideas. So I see the benefits of the remote part, but I'm starting to worry about some of the cross-pollination that goes on between human beings that involves not just visuals and audible, but metacommunication and all of that stuff that we are really good at as humans. So mm -hmm. that's the second question. The first one is how do you inculcate culture in a remote workforce? Well, you know, I, I guess what I would say, I, I would jump on, uh, piggyback a little bit what Ryan was saying, Gallup also, we follow the Gallup uh, studies and this year, they said well-being, number one most important issue to the to the worker. And so, David, if you think about it, if if they're happy in their work environment and their well-being is either just feel good about their life, listen, people want to live their best, best life and have a job that fits in with that. I mean, let's be honest. And so if what we've described, they have that, boy, developing a good culture is actually a little easier because they're not grinding it out to get to the office and worrying about what they have to wear and gosh, what am I going to have for lunch? And, you know, all these things are all are all stressors. But, but here are a couple of things that we do. You know, I've got a whole remote workforce and and our clients do as well. Is that first you can you can structure um, you can structure your team meetings differently, your entire staff meeting differently, and you make sure that maybe once a quarter, you know, I, I make sure that our vertical teams are seeing each other face to face, possibly at industry events. There's just they love that because they're there, they're learning, we're seeing customers, and by the way, they're all getting together, and so that's a great time to brainstorm. So we we are are very intentional about uh, how we travel and where we travel, and so that is much for our clients it's also for us as well. And so where I can know I can put senior team together and mid-level team. And so that people are really feeding off of that. And then as a full unit, try to get together, you know, it, more than just perhaps once a year. But then lastly, listen, at the end of the day, the culture has got to be authentic and it has to stand for something that's meaningful to the people who work there. And, and that's more than just getting face-to-face. -face. Is it something they believe in? Is there something that's more that comes with that brand and with the leadership of that organization that they can buy into. And I know Ryan will speak to that because I know a simple view has that. And we have found that it's, it's the purpose, you know, 
and you can do that you can do that this way via zoom as well as you can face to face but you've got to sprinkle in the face to face whenever that you can yeah couldn't agree more uh agree with everything you said mike um you know i would put the charge on leadership to uh distill that culture down right i think it all starts with passion and i think it all starts with uh, a, a want to better uh, whatever industry you're in or take over whatever industry you are in uh, and and really move the needle and change the world, right? I, I, I think I think as long as you are able to surround yourself with passionate people, uh, you're gonna be successful, right? And as long as, uh, you know, leadership does take that feedback to heart, you know, send out quarterly uh, uh, surveys to, you know, what can we do better, right? And take that, uh, feedback to heart and make it actionable and and show results uh, or show output from those uh, surveys to the employee base, they're going to believe in their leadership. They're going to work hard for that leadership, right? Uh, and I also couldn't agree more that you have to get people together in a room, face-to-face, uh, -face, in person, at least four times a year. In my opinion, we do quarterly uh, retreats for the product org uh, at Simple View. Uh, it's probably my four favorite times of the year. When I get to make, when I get to see everybody from my organization in the same room at the same place doing something fun, decompressing, uh, trying not to talk about work too much, uh, disconnecting, uh, enjoying each other's company, um, and then you know, hitting it hard and getting back to work again. So, Ryan, I'm going to take you back when I when we actually th first thought about this podcast. It actually came on the heels of a question I had asked you, which was really that very direct question how do you how do you do corporate culture remotely and you were ardent about one thing and i think it's really important to underline it you said it's really up to the managers so you have a you know you have a series of managers who actually have a series of managers and so on but you really do find that in the online space it comes down to an incredible level of engagement and involvement at a management employee relationship with direct reports right well, not just direct reports, but indirect reports, right? I I um, have weekly one-on-ones with every one of my direct reports. I have bi-weekly one-on-ones um, with anybody that wants to put a skip level on my calendar. Doesn't matter if they're in my org, doesn't matter if they're outside my org, right? I always make myself accessible and available. And um, I truly do believe that is it's the onus of the management to uh, you know breed that culture, you know, Excuse me. I work. A, I operate a little bit differently, and I hope that my flavor uh, rubs off um, to some of my colleagues and peers. But you know, I allow my team to set their own goals. Right? We we operate in an OKR environment. Uh, we have uh, object, objectives and key results that we all march toward. It starts with a company OKR, distills down to a departmental OKR, to a team OKR, to an individual OKR, and uh, my team gets to set their own OKRs now. Do they have a conversation with their manager to ensure that those OKRs are ambitious enough? Uh, maybe too ambitious. We need to rein them back a little bit. We we always have those people maybe reaching a little too high. Of course, right? That's just the conversation that needs to happen between, uh, you know, two colleagues, uh, a report and their manager. But as long as as long as we're in agreement that what you're marching toward, what you're trying to accomplish, is uh, pertinent, poignant, and ambitious. I don't need to micromanage you. I don't want to micromanage you. I want to be as hands-off as possible and knock down any roadblocks that may be an impediment to you achieving those goals that, that you set and that we both signed off on. 
So that is really kind of my methodology and approach to, um, you know, keeping keeping people and teams happy and firing on all cylinders. Super, super place to transition here. Um, when it comes to the concept of of synergistic work though four meetings a year I, we're making baselines and stuff here but what are some of the other things we need to to pay attention to as we make the shift that's to say we gain some things through the covid crisis that we learned about working remotely we certainly have bigger more empowered teams with a broader diversity of places and thoughts what else what else do we need to remember now as we're working in these hybrids envi environments and, and mike I, i'm sort of me wonders if there's going to evolve the home team and the away team in businesses, the, the group that's constantly at the core of a place that's in place, how does that play out? What yeah, do we that, need to, what do we need to look for? Yeah, that, well, that last part, and again, you have a lot of DMOs likely listening um, and this is a struggle for them. And, and so when they think about the hybrid, they're saying, Hey, we want you in the office, maybe three days a week, pick the three days. Well, you can imagine Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, most popular. So I tell them, I said, that's okay. You know, people want to work remotely on Friday and Monday. Oh, well, you can, you can do a lot of your team face-to-face -face team work on that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, a lot of your stakeholder work on those days. But back to the to the all remote piece, again, you've got to create the virtual water cooler and know that all of your smaller teams, we've got some groups that work in two or three person teams. We have others that'll there'll be six or seven. I and, and Ryan made the point. I have a session every other week with with a with a non-leadership. So with different pods of the organization that just get to spend an hour with me and talk about whatever they want to talk about. So it's just on kind of unfettered access. Let's Let's talk about, and there's no question out of bounds. Uh, we're gonna engage, I'm gonna listen, we're gonna have a little fun, but I'm basically gonna empower you to bring things to me that you you know are gonna, we can remove some obstacles and they love that because it's authentic. It allows them a, a real voice to be heard. They've got a seat at the table, especially the, the Z and the millennials love that kind of environment. They want, they have to have that. And if we wanna talk about retention, that's critical issue number one is to, engage with them, listen to them, and, and I mean really listen, and then empower them to go on. I love, Ryan, I love your goal setting thoughts. Um, that's the key to remote work, and um, you, you've got to set the right goals and then let people do their job, and uh, and that's that's it. And so, but again, I can't stress enough, David, this, this is a tough issue for our DMO friends, because uh, again, they're stakeholders, they're going to be a point where they're going to be, they're going to say enough of the remote working for the DMOs. Um, like, why can't they all be here? I'm grinding and out running my thousand room hotel every day. I'd like them to be in their office a little more often. And so that's gonna be a tough balancing act, I think. So Mike, you're, you're bringing in a very interesting perspective and, and, and a variable that I will add to the mix then, which is there are businesses, You know, we think of frontline businesses automatically as having staff who are in place, but there are businesses that are, you know, massive companies that have data divisions and research divisions, but also have quasi frontline divisions in terms of engagement and working with councils and things like that. It really plays out based on a new model that addresses those realities. There's no one, a place will have a remote workforce and they will have a frontline workforce and they'll have a quasi frontline workforce, but that does all have to play out still, doesn't it? We have to think about it differently at, at all levels, from frontline to C-suite, and it's and it's about flexibility and gig, and that's going to take our our greater industry a little longer. You know, those who have to operate the the venues, if you will, that's hard work. I get it. 
but you're going to get better talent, retain better talent. If you say, Hey, you can only work four hours a day. That, that works for me. What time? Uh, you know, and I, and you see the commercials, Amazon has been doing this for years and they're, they're, they're attracting people because they're offering opportunities that fit with their lives and our greater industry, travel, tourism, hospitality, events, we have to do the same thing, or we're going to, we're going to continue to lose the battle for talent at all levels. And so fresh thinking like with Ryan has, is going to be really important, I think, at all levels and in all sectors, for sure. So as we deal with this big shift going forward, I ask, um, you know, half jokingly, are we moving fast enough? Are we adapting fast enough? I know we're adapting as fast as we can. I know we're moving quickly. There's still a huge rebound flux from this that we don't understand. I, I see, what, a couple more years before we reach a cue point where we understand what a gig worker, remote worker embedded worker, frontline worker really means. And, and especially if we go at all of that with a sense of equality, equality across those things, not parity necessarily, but we're in flux for a while. What do you think, Ryan? Well, I think you run the risk of um, damaging culture if you force it, right? So <clears throat> I, think it needs to, I think it needs to happen naturally, uh, but it does have to happen, right? Again, uh, I, I, I don't see a world uh, in the near future where your accounting person needs to be in an office or your, um, you know, of course there probably needs to be a couple of IT people in the office to make sure that the local network stays up, but do you need your whole IT team in the office? No, you just don't. So it will happen. And, and I think, um, I think it would behoove all industries, not just the DMO industry, because there's tons of industries that struggle, struggle with this. I think it would behoove them to start thinking forward about this and how they're going to approach it as an individual entity, right? Because one shoe doesn't fit all in, in, in this world and everybody's going to have to come up with a, a unique solution that re, that retains the great culture that you have built with your company or entity or organization or whatever, um, but allows your team, the people that you count on and the people that count on you, the flexibility to um, as Mike said, right? Live their best life, right? Avoid that 90 plus percent. I think it was 92%. I've, I've got the sheet here. 92% of everybody's worst part of their day in their pre-work routine and their commute. So. Yeah. David, I, I, have to, I have to interject this. It's interesting. Our last two HR leaders that we've placed in the last three months were both remote. And if I would have suggested that, to our clients pre-COVID, we would have been fired before we were hired. And I'm not being overly dramatic. They would have said, have you lost, what kind of a search firm are you? Have you lost your mind? You know, we will, so to Ryan's point, HR leaders that are gonna work remote, who would have thought? And yeah, of course, you know, that's that's good thinking. And it's gonna work, it's gonna be a terrific solution for these two clients, but it, things have changed and that's- it and they continue yeah. to change. So yeah. we we opened up with a statement that uh, Price Waterhouse, Air Miles and Plenty of Fish were all shedding office space. Do you ever see a day when the big banks or corporations actually have embedded living space in their towers and it's a perk? Like we're going to have to rethink a lot of things, right? Uh <clears throat> my wife's company for example, uh, the the company she was with formerly, um as soon as covid hit, they closed down a two-floor uh, 168 person uh, office, uh, which saved the company around $960,000 a year, which they could directly invest in their employees. Uh, they decided to go all in on remote. 
day one, uh, as soon as the pandemic hit, and it was nothing but a success uh, for them. Uh, does that need to be everybody's plan? Of course not, right? Oh, uh, Mike, uh, do you see any, do you see any other companies doing anything innovative in the attraction space with with the shift? Yeah, well, you and I talked. Uh, I think in twenty twenty when we chatted about this office space issue, David, and you know how I feel about it. It's it's not good news for our DMOs. I mean, a, a healthy, vibrant inner city uh, with workers every day in and out is is good for our tourism economy for sure. Um, and good for real estate and good for economic development, period. So so I worry about that. But yeah, I, I mean, listen, every company uh, in every sector of our industry is really thinking long and hard about this. It, it again goes back to what we've already talked about. The ones who are operating facilities are, are really struggling to understand how do some get this benefit of remote and hybrid while others every single day have to be there. And again, what I will say is think differently about your frontline team too and the ones who have to be on property. This they can have flexibility. They can have gig. They can have all of these similar perks. They're just going to work a little differently, and it's okay. And I, I think another thing, just to piggyback off that uh, a little bit, is um, you know the co-working space is uh, always an option, right? Young people want to be around other young people, so mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be a complete sacrifice of those um, you know properties in downtown areas. They could be easily converted into co-working spaces where people from multiple companies could come together uh, and be around people uh, in like industries or unlike industries, right? Uh, but just folks that that um, are now empowered to work remotely uh, that still want to be around, you know, folks their own age. So uh, always an option to, you know, for companies to, pro you know, provide like a stipend to, uh, you know, 300 bucks a month to go get your own co-working space or something like that. So there's there's options everywhere. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, listen, guys, I totally thank you both for being here. It's always exciting and illuminating to talk to either of you. Uh, in closing, quick thoughts. What are the values and benefits driving the, the future, the future of talent, the future of work? Whoever wants to go first. Take it, Mike. Yeah, I, you know, for me, it, it is it's the authenticity of the culture and, and that that can happen virtually and live. And it's and as Ryan has pointed out, it's up to the leader. Uh, to decide on how they want to leave, lead and show up and engage and listen and empower the team. And so let's not get hung up on where or how we do it, but the leader you know, has to lead and has to create that authentic culture that connects with all generations. So those four or five generations we have in the workforce, especially those Zs and millennials, expect that and they're going to choose their employer based on it. I, honestly, I would have said the exact same thing. Uh, you know, let, let's let's make sure that our leaders are thinking uh, about the mental health and um, you know, long-term goals of their team. Uh, surround themselves with passionate people that embrace the culture and the goals of the company, and it's a recipe for success. Right? You you will you will not fail uh, if you surround yourself with the right people, have the right leaders in place, and uh, find the correct way to drive your team uh, towards success. Well, guys, thanks. That was great. Have a great day. <laughs>